Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the show. Got a great show planned for you. Going to talk about something really important tonight. Intimacy. What is it? Why are we so afraid of it? How do we work on healing that fear? And I think a lot of you are going to be surprised and maybe realize you do have some fear of intimacy without realizing it because... Dun, 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 dun. There's a lot of hidden ways that it shows up in our lives. And we think, hey, just because we're married, living with someone, seeing them a lot, we assume intimacy is inherently there, and it's not. So we're going to talk about all those factors, which is going to be good because it's going to help heal some relationships. Or, you know, retroactively, we look and we realize, yikes, there it is. That's why things went awry. But we learn. As I say, it's the most meaningful thing we can do is look backwards at who we've been to see what's possible and to determine who we want to be again and who we don't want to be again. And we learn about ourselves through our relationships, historical and current of all kinds. Everyone should be doing that relational work. What kind of friend am I? What kind of uh, son or daughter am I? What kind of partner, husband, parent? What kind of boss? What kind of teacher? How am I in terms of all the different relationships in which we're embedded? And that shows us where our work is. We often think that the problem is that other person, if they didn't trigger me, if they weren't so difficult, but your responses show you where your work is, where your healing is necessary. Because in theory, what people do is neutral and our responses tell us about ourselves. Um, we can't look for other people to change so we don't have to do the work of changing as well and you know, learning about ourselves. So we'll be talking about that. But y'all know the drill. If you've got some questions, things you want to answer, topics you want to hit, circle back, drop deeper into, put them in the DMs on our Loveland IG page because we will be sliding into those bad boys later. So look, Dr. D has his own definitions of intimacy and I really like mine because <laughs> it challenges us to be better. And uh, that's the work. So we're going to use the entry point of we're, you know, uh, 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 reflecting on ourselves before we reflect on others. So what is this word intimacy? I think that's important to unpack this big I word that a lot of us sling around. I'll tell you what it's not first. Um, it's not about proximity. It's not about how often or how much time your body is spent near someone else's body. Favorite example is always I can fly on a flight across the coast. 
to the other side of the country for five hours sitting next to someone. And that does not mean that we've built any kind of intimacy just because we are in proximity. There's a difference between proximity and intimacy. And yet I'll say to some individuals or couples that I work with, how much intimacy have you had over the week since I last saw you? I'll say that to some, you know, patients and they'll say, Oh, you know, well a lot, you know, we, we live together, we sleep together, we watch our shows together. And I say, okay, again, that's proximity, but what is done within the home, the time that you're with someone or when your bodies are near each other determines whether or not intimacy was in existence being built or being avoided. Yeah. So that's where the work lies. Um, so again, don't let proximity be a placeholder for intimacy. And for some people, oof, without that proximity, they wouldn't really have anything going on in their relationship. They are just bodies passing each other in the night. You know, we dinner at the same table, that's not intimacy, sitting on the same couch watching a show. Again, not intimacy. Even some people having sex, not necessarily intimate. Sometimes we have sex as a way to avoid acknowledging that we don't have any intimacy, and that's the respirator keeping our relationship alive. Thank God for it, because that's all we really have. So what is intimacy then? Well, there's a lot of different um, domains with which we can really talk about it. We're going to explore those in a second, but I want to give my overarching global definition of intimacy. Intimacy is when we share the parts of ourselves that make us feel vulnerable and make us feel anxious. Intimacy sounds like it's going to be hard to say this. It might be hard to hear this, but it's important for me to be known or for you to know this part of myself. And then you make a declaration. That's a loose framework to apply. And again, I often use this reference as well, where in an uncomfortable way, you might see two friends, two family members, or a couple sitting in silence. There's the comfortable version of that, which is we are familiar enough and it feels safe enough where we can just sit with our own thoughts. We don't always have to be filling that space with conversation, but we're still close and we have access to that when needed. There's the positive, healthy version, but then there's the uncomfortable version where neither one is dropping into intimacy. Neither one is really sharing what they're feeling, what they're needing, what they're thinking, what they're dreaming of, what's working, what's not working. And it's an avoidance. And they're sitting there in awkward, avoidant, non-intimate silence. And it's uncomfortable. And they're in proximity. Their bodies are there and they're eating together. And you're just like, wow, no one is sharing these deeper parts of themselves. They've already shared the easy, topical, safe stuff. Oh, it's kind of hot out today. Oh, yeah, it is. It's a sunny day safe, superficial, we've gotten that out of the way. Oh, so-and-so, and then they have maybe what we call a child-centered marriage where they only relate around the child. Susie's doing this, little Tommy's doing that. Oh, good, good, good. And it's just very, 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 it's all pleasantries. It's all superficial. How's work? Good, work is good. And no one's ever dropping deeper. There's no more, there's no vulnerability. There's no transparency. No one's really sharing anything. No one's bringing forward things that make them a little anxious because it's vulnerable, because it's very close, because it's very personal. And that's what it requires. And we can practice doing that with anyone in our lives. Some friends are like that. They never say, you hurt my feelings. Let's talk about it. They never say, I'm sad today. Let's talk about, it. you know, those are the meaningful parts. When we have fun with someone awesome, we bond, but it's when we share these more vulnerable, scary, anxiety inducing parts of ourselves that we really feel close to someone. Those moments are beautiful moments of bonding. So we don't want to kind of, we don't want to not, we want, we want to create and allow for those. All right. We're going to come back, talk more about it. You're listening to Love Live with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. Also stick around. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. 
Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all right we're back and we're talking about intimacy creates a lot of fear in a lot of folks talking about how intimacy is something we keep plugging away at it's about peeling back those layers, dropping deeper, 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 sharing things that make us anxious, sharing things that make us feel vulnerable. It's about transparency, sharing what you're thinking, sharing what you're feeling, sharing what you're needing, sharing how people are impacting you. Um, one of the things I always point out is when you're in a close friendship or a primary partnership, if we don't take our most vulnerable, honest selves to those individuals, then where do we? Who gets to see those parts of ourselves? And we all need that. We need mirroring. We need to have the important parts of ourselves reflected back. It's an important psychological function. Um, and not everyone gets to have that. So it's not enough to just be around individuals. That's proximity. We also, again, have to have the deeper parts of ourselves engaged and mirrored back. That can happen in any kind of relationship. It doesn't have to be romantically driven, but we need to have that experience in our lives. It's an important part of mental health. But I wanted to just take a moment and talk about the different domains of intimacy. And I think it helps to start to direct us to where the work can exist. And then later in the show, we're going to talk about how we really start to build that intimacy and talking about those that are fearful of it, because all of us have some work to do. Um, we live in a world where we don't want authenticity and truth. We have things like etiquette which is about the denial of reality, you know, don't say, don't say the truth, just keep it nice. And we also have these two driving forces, 
of conformity and authoritarianism. Conformity, we just want to do what everyone else is doing. Authoritarianism, we do what we think we're supposed to. Again, that's backing us away from truth and authenticity. It's very rare that we get to really, truly, honestly be ourselves. So what are the different domains of intimacy? I thought this was interesting because when I was looking at this, my mind started to wander and I was trying to kind of think about who I get to take these different parts of myself to. And I think it's an interesting um, exercise. You know, you might realize that there's specific domains of yourself that are never really brought to someone else or acknowledged or seen by someone else. And that's also how shame is created and maintained. Shame is created and maintained by these disowned parts of ourselves that we don't want anyone to acknowledge or to see or to engage. And we start to hide a part of ourselves and then we hide the parts of ourselves that bump into or bring someone close to the original core parts of ourselves that we hide. And shame is really worked through with exposure by talking about whatever that topic is or discussing what happened or showing that part of your body or acknowledging that part of your life. So you might realize in hitting these domains that there's an area of shame that's within that domain. And that would be an area that you'd want to start to, um, talk from and feel from and live from and kind of take to other people. And I guess it's important to talk about quickly before we look at the different domains that, you know, deeper parts of ourselves are also something that people should earn access to. People have to show that they're worthy of trust to be brought into deeper parts of ourselves. I always look at it like a couple circles, a circle inside of another circle inside of another circle and the widest circle is the more superficial parts of ourselves that we could bring to anyone, you know, the kind of shows we're watching, our favorite color, the date of our birthday, whatever it might be. And then the circle that's a little bit further in from that, people have to earn and work their way into, and we tell them parts of ourselves that are a little more private or personal. And then finally, there's the inner core, which is reserved for those that have demonstrated trust and compassion and safety and that might be our recovery history or um, some elements of maybe trauma we might have dealt with. And those are the protected parts of ourselves that, again, people have to earn access to. We don't just immediately pull someone right into that. That's to have no boundaries. That's to not have any self-care. And ask yourself that. Is, is, are some of those core parts too protected? Or are they maybe not protected enough? Do I share too much of the deeper parts of myself with too many people too quickly? And look, this comes up even in early dating where I'll say, listen, you don't need to put that in your dating profile. You don't need to bring that up on the couple, on the first couple dates so you can anxiously get permission and support and have someone tell you that that part of yourself is okay. Make them earn their way in. You don't want a lot of people running around out in the world having had that kind of deeper access to you. Um, people have to earn their way. And I talk to a lot of people in recovery about that, where maybe in the first couple of dates, they don't talk about the fact that they're sober or why they're sober. They don't share elements of, you know, things that they used to do while drinking and drugging or whatever it might be. Again, we don't have to anxiously bring that up right away to get permission or to get acceptance around that. And in fact, that can work against us because people don't know us and they don't know who we really are. And they might not know that we've transformed or done the work or been in therapy and kind of moved beyond or outgrown some of those elements. So it's very important that we're thoughtful about who we build certain deeper levels of intimacy with. And even a close friendship, family member or partner, you might realize isn't safe. And what does that mean to be in such a close relationship with someone who isn't safe to bring into those deeper parts of ourselves? It's also something we have to stop and look at. So the topic of intimacy really becomes one about shame 
and about boundaries and about self-esteem and about, about vulnerability. There's so much in it. And that's why I love when these topics come up in, you know, in individual therapy with patients, but especially in couples and relational therapy and sex therapy. When we talk about, is your partner safe for you to share with them all the things that turn you on? Is your partner safe to go to and let them know struggles you're having with the relationship you have with them or within the marriage? Um, and if not working towards that, and if not with that person finding others that you can take those important parts of yourself to. So again, they're, they're acknowledged and they're seen and they're engaged. It's really important, especially for, you know, dealing with shame and trauma. Um, all right, when we come back, we'll talk about the different domains of intimacy so we can kind of check in on, hey, which parts are a little protected, which parts have a little fear or anxiety around them. Um, and then we'll be doing some DMs. So if you got a question for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveland IG page, questions, topics, things you want us to hit, circle back, drop deeper into, and past episodes of the show. Always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline, and click on it. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around, y'all. We got a whole lot more to come. We'll be back. Well, Rachel, we are back, and we're just looking at the different domains of intimacy, looking at where the work is, the parts that we maybe keep a little too protected, which parts we want to have more people engage, bring people into. Um, and I thought this was great because as I was looking at these different domains, it got me thinking about who who in my life gets to participate in these levels. So the first parts are, um, there's four main types. And of course, there's more than this, but we just kind of collapse them down. Uh, emotional intimacy. That's about our feelings. Sharing our feelings with others, our feelings about others, with those others. Um experiences of the future, the past, the present, knowing that this person is safe, knowing that they'll listen, knowing that they'll be empathetic. Um, it's important. If we're going to have a relationship with anyone that's very close, we have to be able to share with them how that relationship makes us feel and makes and, 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 and impacts us. And we have to be able to share with them maybe some requests we might have for some differences or some changes. It's really important. Another one, intellectual intimacy. Think about that one for a second. Because again, it's important for us to have every level and element engaged and mirrored. And it doesn't always have to come from a primary partner. It's okay to have elements that we take to other people. It's called having a good friend where maybe your partner isn't able to engage with you intellectually because they're not philosophically minded enough or they're not working within that field or that academic area that you study and value. So you talk to your classmates, you talk to a good friend, you talk to a family member. That's We're allowed to have intimacy with multiple people. We, we, we toxically think that our primary partner has to help us get every single need met. That's, that's a really problematic expectation. Um, and also it's just not true. This is how we build relationships and have deep friendships. And so I want us to be able to have access to that. So intellectual intimacy um, is our, our life philosophy. It's the things that we like to talk about. It's the things that maybe we study, the things we read. Um, some people might realize, oh gosh, I don't even engage this part of myself. So that might be something for some of you to look at. I know for me, um, I do have a field of study. I'm an expert within a field. I am constantly talking about it, thinking about it, engaging it, reading, studying, working with it. And I have friends in my life that are also within the field or love the areas of psychology, philosophy, humanity, social sciences, neuroscience, biology, and I talk to them about it. 
because they can meet me on that level and it's important for me to be able to be engaged at a, at a certain level. Um, not all my friends or relationships I'm a part of are able to meet me where I'm at. And that's okay. They don't have to. That's because we get to have a multitude of people in our lives. You know, your primary partner might be the emotional sharer where you, you know, go to get that need met. But again, like I said, intellectually, you might go to a family member or a friend. That's okay. Don't let anyone shame that or pathologize that or use a word like emotional cheating. No. <laughs> We're in healthy relationships with people we trust and that trust us, and then those words don't even exist. Um, this one was really kind of interesting. Uh, and this isn't necessarily the domains that I would use. This is coming from some of the research I did. So if these don't make sense to you, use different wording, change them. But someone referenced experiential intimacy. And that's about shared experiences, um, inside jokes, uh, that's usually built from having had someone in your life for a long period of time. So you've been through events and you've gone and done things. And so you have memories. Um, I, I like the concept of the inside joke because that's that means it was a really impactful time on some level. And so we want to go back and be nostalgic and revisit and look at photos. And it's a really beautiful thing to reflect back on. And that's why people that are in romantic relationships always say, go do things. That's a robust part of a relationship is going out in the world and experiencing things and doing things. So you have things to reflect on and stories to tell and inside jokes, and you've gotten to know different parts of yourselves. And that's why don't make every night a blockbuster night where every night's just the couch with television and movies that makes the relationship feel flat. Um, so then there's another one I thought that was interesting, spiritual intimacy. Not everyone has a spiritual practice. That's a bummer. I think that's a really important part of mental health and feeling good in the world, realizing that there's more than just what we see and can touch and access with our five senses. Even if your spirituality is rooted in compassion or love or social justice or taking care of the earth or God or whatever it might be. And we want to have people that you can speak to on that level. And for some, that's just about, excuse me, going out into nature. Maybe that's better posed or translated into someone who's outdoorsy like you or someone who's into philosophy like you. Um, there's different ways to kind of translate this. So don't see these as hard-lined domains. And then finally, there's like the affectional sexual intimacy, bringing our eroticism to someone, um, letting someone know that deeper important parts of ourselves. But again, that is dependent upon having a mature partner or mature sexual partners that are mature enough and compassionate enough for us to be able to reveal and bring that part of ourselves to other people because it's a highly stigmatized, very, very vulnerable part, especially because the way we set up sex within our culture. So, you know, again, there are understandable reasons why certain parts of you might not be having intimacy built around them. Um, or it's a call to start to work on that with people in your life or a call to go find people that can engage you on these levels. Um, all right, we're going to come back, do some DMs, and then we'll talk about how you know if you have a fear of intimacy and also what are some of the things to consider to start to work on being able to build and tolerate more. It's got to be about those solutions. DMs coming up next, though, so uh, don't go anywhere, y'all. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. All right, y'all, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, y'all, this one says, hey, Dr. Chris, any advice on performance, anxiety, and erectile dysfunction? Can't seem to keep an erection, and now it's happened a few times. It's starting to affect my relationship, and I'd hate for that to be the reason we're not together. Um, yeah, y'all, I've, I've talked a lot about this. I've written a lot about this in my books, posted a lot of articles about this, so we'll go into it again. Um, 
erectile dysfunction is often not the correct term. It sounds like you're having some erectile disappointments. That is not a dysfunction or a disorder. Our penises are not dildos. They will not get erect and stay erect when we want, how we want, as long as we want. It doesn't work like that. And the problem is your language. You're having performance anxiety. Why are you performing? Who are you performing for? Sex is not a performance. There's no right way to do it. There's no wrong way to do it. Sex is about presence and intimacy and fun. As I always say on the show, it's like dessert. There's no wrong way to eat it. It's just about enjoying it, the way it looks, the way it tastes, the way it feels. We have to stop focusing so much on doing things optimally and correct because that's body negative, that's sex negative. Our bodies have a variation in its responses. There's nothing in life that is always gonna be consistent or the way you want. Singers have times where their voice isn't doing exactly what they want and they're disappointed, that is normal. When you're playing a sport, there will be times where your shot or your jump or whatever it is is off a little bit. That is not a disorder or dysfunction. We have to allow things to sometimes be different or creative or messy. And so your whole perspective is the problem. You are building more anxiety by thinking it has to do something, it better do something, otherwise I've failed and there's a disorder and my relationship's ending. Dear God in heaven, if your relationship ends over the fact that sometimes you don't get erect and stay erect, then your relationship is, your relationship is fragile and flimsy and it's based on performance. And if you are with a partner that's actually there because they care about you, then it doesn't matter. You don't even need your erection. In fact, that's what I prescribe to clients. Practice having sex without erections and penetration so as to learn how to have sex without them, so as to not be dependent upon them, so as to practice really having sex based on what it's in, pleasure and enjoyment. I don't work with clients on learning how to get erect and stay erect. I work with them on a pleasure-based model. Any good sex therapist is gonna work with you on pleasure. How can we find pleasure and have pleasure, whether you are erect or not. And if your penis is erect, great, have fun and use it. And when it's not, we stay in the game by doing all the other amazing, fun, beautiful things. But yes, in porn and hookup culture, we are expected to perform on demand. And a lot of people have sex with their partners as though they're having hookups where people are there for one thing and one thing only. And there is a right and a wrong in their mind. Our bodies will not always be willing to, to align with that. You're at the mercy of your body. Sorry, you can't always fulfill the fantasy that hookup culture and porn has instilled in you. So I'm, I'm worried about who you're in a relationship with, if it could actually end because of this one thing. We have fingers, we have tongues, we have toys. Sex is not just about penetration and erections. And as we age, a healthy body and a healthy penis will continue to do all sorts of different dynamic things. As we get older, we are not meant to perform the way we did when we were in our 20s and 30s or below. In fact, a healthy penis every decade has another 10% chance where it will be disappointing. We have to focus on pleasure. There is no reason for us to be focusing or thinking in terms of performance. And, that's, and so you have to reorient your entire relationship around this and uh, have a talk with your partner. Why is your partner shaming your body for performing in a healthy way, which is doing all sorts of different things at different times? I'm sure he wouldn't want you to do that to him. And everyone needs to know this. We need to get away from the word erectile dysfunction. Like nine times out of 10, it's just that there's disappointments because we don't understand what a healthy erection does, which is it comes and it goes. Sometimes we have things in our mind. Some things we're not, sometimes we're not turned on enough. Sometimes we're in our head because we think there's a right way. Sometimes we are drinking too much or eating too many animal products. And so we are having issues with blood pressure. There's a wealth of reasons. But if you're able to get an erection when you're on your own, if you're able to wake up with an erection, then you don't have an erectile dysfunction, meaning your penis is functional and penises that are functional are up and down and all around. <laughs>
So you have to have a more mature perspective around this. Um, even popping pills and things like that, your anxiety can over can overrun that and over um, and wash away the effects. So this is work you have to learn how to do, and we all need to get on board with this. This is probably one of the things that I'm constantly correcting. So thankful came up on the show, but I've written tons of articles. Dig them up, read them, because that's going to be what's going to save you from this. Because um, your body's never going to do exactly what you want it to do. I wish I could jump higher, but there's limits to things, you know. So there we go, y'all. All All right, stick around. We got a lot more to come. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back, so don't go anywhere. All right, we're back, and we're talking about intimacy and, more importantly, fears of intimacy. And some of this is going to be a little surprising because some people might say, I spend a lot of time with people. I have deep relationships. I have no fear of intimacy here. And sometimes it's more subtle and nuanced. Um, sort of some of the signs. Well, we already talked a little bit about it based on the whole domain exploration. Um, but let's kind of get more specific. Are you afraid to share your feelings, needs, and thoughts? Do you have people in your life that you would withhold sharing some ideals, ideals, ideas, thoughts, opinions? Because right there, again, sometimes it's reasonable because the person isn't safe or mature. Or maybe you don't want a close relationship with that person. So again, it would be a very reasonable boundary for you to set. But for the people that are important to you, that you do want to have in your life and you do want to be close with, do you withhold ideas, needs, feelings, thoughts? And if so, why? And if it's not, again, because they're not safe or because you're not interested in being close with them, then there lies an intimacy issue. It's about you. It's about your work. It's not a a reflection of them in any way, shape, or form. Um, I thought another interesting point that was brought up about it is people that leave relationships when things are going well, sometimes they leave because they're afraid of getting left. And that's also a fear of intimacy. Um, some people are constantly in new relationships and they don't ever stick around to let them go long-term. That can also be a fear of intimacy because they're not sticking around and doing the work in the beginning. It's easy and it's fun, but then a little bit of conflict shows up and what you do in terms of, in, in times of conflict shows both the health and sustainability of the relationship, but it's also a huge determinant and indicator of how much intimacy you can handle. So if you're always in a new relationship and you're always leaving when times are tough, On paper, each one might sound reasonable, but when you pan out, it might be you you have a fear of intimacy, fear of doing the work, fear of really being known. Another one that surprises some people is if you are a perfectionist, if you're always trying to go for an A+, a level 10, you like to optimize everything, you want to look good, and you're up at 5 a.m. every day, and you're eating the right foods, and you're going to the gym, or you're always going for perfect, you're hiding behind those achievements because no one is perfect, no one is completely polished, no one is a Stepford housewife. You're not showing your truth, which is often a little sloppy, a little messy, a little bit of a letdown, never perfect, not always a 10. Um, So if everything has to be perfect, your career, your fitness, your car, your hair, your makeup, your fashion, um, you're not showing your vulnerability. There's no vulnerability in that. There's no getting to know someone like that. It's actually a defense. It keeps people away. That is a fear of intimacy. Sabotaging relationships. That's another big one. Again, anytime things get hard, you bounce. Overly critical. Always nitpicking what isn't correct. Always nitpicking what's not working because you don't know how to stick around and deal with a real, vulnerable, present human. 
And all of these things, how does this come to be? It comes from so many different sources. We'll never know. And it's not really important why, because that's always going to be hyper-theoretical. Is it from childhood trauma? Is it because of the way you're raised in your family? That's often the case. We're raised in families where there is no vulnerability demonstrated to us. We are not shown what it looks like. We are not um, raised with familiarity. So we don't know how. We don't know what. We're used to very superficial relationships. Uh, mom and dad keep separate from the kids. You know, that comes from very rigid families with rigid roles where mom and dad don't have it. Mom and dad don't have it from the kids. They use all these arbitrary things to separate out. You know, opposite sexes, we don't understand each other. And you're a kid and I told you so and I'm the adult. And all these weird boundaries that are too rigid and no one's ever soft or vulnerable. Or it could come from trauma. It could become it could come from being bullied or put down or gossiped about or some form of violence where again you've been shown by the world or by others that um, people aren't safe or who you are isn't acceptable. You know, we live in a homophobic, racist, fat phobic, ableist culture. So if you're disabled, if you are of color, if you are larger bodied, if you are not hetero, well then inherently it's understandable that you withhold certain parts of yourselves or maybe don't lead with them because the world is always seeing those things as bad or wrong. So privileges in there and the isms, um, bigotry and prejudice, like there's so many systems at play that we bury ourselves under. And so that's part of it as well. We have to feel good about who we are and what we are and how we move through the world and how we look and our gender expression and our sexuality. And again, the world doesn't always welcome that. And so that's a part of this as well. Uh, and that's why I tell everyone, you know, every relationship we're in, every person we engage is either helping heal us and remind us that we're acceptable and helps us learn how to have more vulnerability and feel safe in that or the opposite. Be very thoughtful. You know, sometimes again, it's we're on the receiving end of all this stuff. Uh, so it can be relational that causes fear of intimacy. It can be systemic and institutional. It can be family of origin. Um, yeah, I know it goes deep. Um, and that's why this is work that, you know, most of us have to do. There's going to be some domain or area that we recognize, Ooh, I have a little bit of a armor around that, or my, my boundaries around that are a little too, uh, firm and, and not flexible enough. Or, oh, I withhold that part of myself from literally everyone in my life. And that's why therapy is beautiful because sometimes that's the only space in which certain parts of yourself are known. And maybe that will always be the case. Or maybe that's just a building block where you practice that safety first in therapy or with a primary partner. And then you kind of branch out beyond that. Um, all right, when we come back, we're going to talk about the ways to work through your fear of intimacy, which is a beautiful skill set for all of us to have nonetheless. And then of course we'll be closing out with some DMs. So uh, stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. Oh, Rachel, we're back and we're talking about intimacy and fears of intimacy. It comes from our family of origin, not having it modeled for us, not being familiar with it or living in a world where due to fat phobia, racism, homophobia, ableism, whatever might be going on, you've been raised to believe by systems and institutions and even media that an element or all of you is wrong or bad or full of shame or stigmatized. Um, we talked about perfectionism, hiding the messy, honest, vulnerable parts of ourselves, trying to present a certain way. It can be tied to trying to present as hetero or to be man enough. So toxic masculinity is a part of fear of intimacy. Because again, intimacy is letting these vulnerable, fragile, honest, authentic parts of ourselves being known by others. Um, now we're going to talk about ways to kind of work through it. Work through it. Uh, first one. Really paying attention to that inner critic. We all have one, a part of you that is saying some element or part of you is bad or wrong. Identifying it when it's happening and then 
vocalizing, sharing, making known that part of yourself that that inner critic is trying to shame or stigmatize. That's a powerful indicator of where the work lies. Um, Also, acknowledging the internal feeling of shame, which can come up at surprising times in surprising contexts, but noting that means there's a part of me that I don't feel okay about. Acknowledging that if we have a part of ourselves that we don't feel okay about, we protect that part. We protect any part that's close to that part. We also can't move through the world with full self-esteem and self-worth if there are parts of ourselves that we're always protecting physically, emotionally, psychologically, socially. So identifying that critic or shame and saying that's where the work is. How can I bring that part forward? How can I make that part known? Um, another big one is just feeling your feelings. It's, 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 quite, it's quite interesting to see how we often hide our feelings. We don't really speak up and say, you know what? I actually didn't like that or that actually didn't taste good to me or hey, this isn't what I ordered. That can be a part of it. It might seem very small, but that can be like a, a cousin, a close cousin or a distant cousin of a fear of intimacy, not not being vulnerable and saying, you know, that wasn't what I asked for, that wasn't what I ordered, or I actually didn't like the movie, or that didn't feel good to me. Not trying to be accepted, but trying to be known. I always talk about that with dating. You date to be known, not to be liked. It's okay to not be liked if you're living from your integrity and your value system. It's important for us to express when we have different feelings or different values about something or different opinions. It's important for us to express needs. So if you're constantly just going along with what others say or others think or others do, bam, that's where the work is. Uh, Being vulnerable and open. Really trying to call out, again, around what themes, in what places, at what times do I harden? Do I armor? Do I withhold? Because it's really about identifying where the work is and then leaning in. Um... Asking for help. I think that was a really interesting that one that comes up in my office is a fear of a fear of intimacy is letting someone know that you can't do something on your own or that you need care or support from someone or you failed at something. Asking for help is huge. It, it trains yourself to believe that vulnerability is acceptable, that it's okay to be dependent on someone. We all have to be able to feel vulnerable and dependent. We have to acknowledge our needs for others because that, that's real, that's honest. And as I said before, that's also how we get close to people. That's how we build trust is in those moments. So if you're in a primary friendship, you have a close friend, a close family member, or you're in a primary relationship, make sure you have needs. Make sure you need help. Make sure you let them help you. If not, that is a fear of intimacy, a fear of being known on that deeper level, that more vulnerable, fragile part of ourself. Because again, that is when people feel close to us. And that's when we also let them know this is an honest relationship and I want to know those parts of you as well. It becomes a feedback loop. So really kind of call that out. Um, that's, that's, that's the most fascinating domain when I bring that up. Who do you go to for help? When's the last time someone helped you? When's the last time you let your best friend or primary partner help you? Or did you let them know something was, was required? Um, and then we kind of capitalize on that. And then the questions become, when's the last time you told someone you were sad or scared? When's the last time you expressed emotion? Ask yourself that. We're, we're great at expressing anger or frustration, or maybe not even. When's the last time you, let me, let me broaden that. When's the last time you told someone that they disappointed you or let you down? That's so important. I don't believe you have an intimate or close relationship or friendship or whatever it might be. If you can't say to that person, hey, that hurt my feelings or you let me down. And also, when's the last time you asked someone for help? When's the last time you told someone something you have shame about or you failed at? The expression of emotions or the withholding is, is a ground zero for all of this. 
And the people that you might be able to do that with are guaranteed to be the people you feel the closest with, the f- people you feel the safest with. So if you want to feel safe and close to someone, ask them for help. Let them know when they've disappointed you. Let them know when they've let you down. Let them know about things you've failed at. That's that vulnerability and that fragility. And again, that's why we say we know we're building intimacy when we're sharing parts of ourselves that make us anxious. It's so close. Or when we share with someone else something that might make them anxious with an appropriateness, but it's because we're building that much intimacy. And like, you know, like I said, letting someone know maybe they've hurt your feelings or let you down or disappointed you. So important. If we're not doing these things, well, then what are we running our relationships based on? Proximity, where we're just around them a lot? Okay. Only driven by fun? Doesn't build trust and safety, though. And we don't have those deeper parts of ourselves known. Because, again, intimacy is about having the important and deeper parts of ourselves mirrored and engaged and seen. And we speak from it. It's always rooted in shame. or trying to fulfill a role or an identity. Men don't do that, or a father doesn't do that, or a doctor would never do that. All these roles and identities that aren't even real bury us, our true selves, deeper and deeper and deeper. People-pleasing, just trying to be liked, just trying to be likable. Again, further burying our truth, our authenticity, who we really are. Because sometimes we're most known when we disagree. That's when we really make ourselves known. That's when we really do the work of self-worth and self-confidence. So make sure you're putting that into action. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back. We're going to talk more about uh, ways to uh, unlearn the fear of intimacy and closeness. And, you know, it's important stuff because otherwise we're living in shame, like I said. And then uh, we'll be closing out with some DMs. So if you got a question for us, topic you want us to hit, something you want us to circle back or drop deeper into, put it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. That's where they go. And past episodes of the show are always over at wearechannelq.com. Otherwise, we'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around. Got a whole lot more to come. All right, y'all, we're back. Just finishing up our discussion about intimacy, and more importantly, the fear of intimacy, ways to kind of unlearn and work through it. Oof. It's, there's a lot of uh, heftiness to it, a lot of meat, because it, it's something we might have carried with us through our whole childhood, adulthood. Um, it might be culturally bound, culturally created, uh, might be internally created, but this is relational work. It's caused relationally, it's healed relationally. So what are we doing? We're learning how to ask for help. We're also saying, when's the last time I told someone that I was sad, or I told someone I failed at something, or I shared something I had shame about? When's the last time we let someone know that they let us down or disappointed us? That is part of intimacy. And if you're not doing that, you're not having real relationships with people. Um, You're just going along with things. When's the last time you shared a differing value or opinion with someone about something? It's okay to speak up and disagree. Also, ready for this one? Another thing is sometimes it's about the positive. Do 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 you give compliments? Do you celebrate people? Do express appreciation. That's a form of intimacy. For some people, it feels too vulnerable. We're really good at calling out the negatives. But some people aren't good at calling it the positives. Like, wow, you look really great. Wow, that meant a lot to me that you thought of me on my birthday. Thank you. Or congratulations. I know that today you got a promotion. I was thinking about how excited I was for you. It's about transparency. It's about whatever you're thinking or feeling, you vocalize. Healthy people have a filter. And we don't just say anything or everything. We take into account if we're going to harm someone. And if we are with what we're going to say, we keep our mouth closed. But if we're going to speak, we speak from a place of intimacy. And again, that's about appreciation, celebration. I want people to celebrate each other more. What a beautiful world to call a friend and say, you know, I'm proud of you. Congratulations. I was thinking about how important you are to me. Uh, you're, you're, you're such a great friend or a family member, whatever it is. Especially in primary relationships, we're so good sometimes at being critical and attacking. 
but for every put down or attack, there should be a three to five compliments or, or, or celebrations or forms of appreciation. That's what relationships should be built on. Um, we talked about making your feelings known. There's also something about apologies, giving them and accepting them. I don't care if it's parents need to apologize to their kids. Uh, adults need to apologize to each other. That's another form of vulnerability. Hey, I'm sorry I hurt you. I'm sorry I said that. I feel really bad at how I treated you. I want to say I'm sorry. That is intimacy building. That is so vulnerable to tell someone that, to acknowledge that, or for someone to apologize to you and to say, yes, you hurt me, you did. But I know that there's more to you than that, and I care about you still, and I know that good people do bad things sometimes. Um, let's talk more about it, or thank you for that, or I need some time. That is intimacy. We have to be able to do that. Otherwise, we're not safe. People aren't safe with us. And then this is also the idea of boundaries. Intimacy is also about boundaries. Letting people know when they've gone too far, letting people know that you're not ready to bring them into that extent. That's very vulnerable to say to someone, I'm not comfortable talking about that with you, or I don't want to talk about that right now, or that's not something I really want to share with you or share with anyone. And that's why I talked about how people have to earn their way into the deeper parts of who we are. Intimacy isn't just saying, sure, I've known you for a few hours. Let me just tell you every part of myself. No way. People have to earn their way and work their way in. That isn't about having intimacy issues. That isn't about having shame. That's about having boundaries. That's an important part of this is being appropriate with who you say what to, what parts of yourself you share with people. Otherwise, we're recreating trauma, that boundarylessness, which could be why we have a fear of intimacy in the first place, because we don't trust that we'll take care of ourselves. We're not familiar with people setting boundaries around disclosures and parts of themselves that they share. And maybe as a child or a young adult, we've been flooded or overwhelmed by what our parents would let us ex be exposed to or hear about or see. And so we're afraid of intimacy because that's our experience of it. And so we have very firm boundaries and we never really get close to people. That's an example where a family of origin and trauma can very much make us phobic of intimacy. Um, or like I said, events since then, or different identities or social locations because of our gender expression, our sexuality, our race, our body shape or size, all those different things in our stigmatized, prejudicial, bigoted culture can very much get internalized. And instead of realizing those systems are bad or toxic, we think we are. And so another part of this is also having community that reflects back worth and value around those parts of yourself that you have some shame around. And for a lot of people, this work is started in therapy. That therapist is the first person where you bear these parts of yourself to, the first person who ever was told about these elements. And then you build from there. You learn how to practice that. And sexuality is one of the most protected parts of ourselves because of how stigmatized it is in our culture and how a lot of people aren't mature enough to hear about how creative or diverse we are sexually. So that's also an interesting entry point for some people to really start to make their erotic and sexual selves known with the right people after they've been proven to be safe. What a gift. To give someone and like i said earlier in the show if our closest friends and loved ones aren't shown our most honest authentic vulnerable selves well then who does get to see that and it's important that those parts are engaged and mirrored and spoken to so start to do that work choose a few people that you wish you were closer to and start to do this work um what a gift you give them what a gift you give yourself in doing that if you have kids please build vulnerability with them build intimacy with them, share, talk, help them have this modeled, help them find comfort and familiarity with this so they take that into their adult lives. Otherwise, they end up in my office as adults trying to figure this out late in the game, you know? Um, 
All right, when we come back, we're going to do some DMs. So if you got a question for us, topic you want us to hit, something you want us to circle back or drop deeper into, put those in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Otherwise, don't go anywhere. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/recommend today. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Modelo, the Markable Fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All right, y'all, we are back. And now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris. I'm working on bettering my communication with my spouse. They were just told by their therapist that they have some form of cognitive disorder. It's been very difficult at times to communicate with my spouse. Now knowing of this disorder, do you have any suggestions how to better navigate interactions? Appreciate all you do. Um, No, I don't know how to help you because that's a very specific question. I don't know exactly what their cognitive issues are. and they're working with a therapist. So I would rather you go to your partner and or the partner's therapist and say, hey, how can I best help you? Because I want it to be tailored specifically to your partner's communication style. Because I love where your head's at. There's no right or wrong way of communicating. Whether you're on the spectrum or you're not, whether you're neurotypical or neuro- neurodivergent, these are just differences. People communicate all different kinds of ways. And I like that we're finally normalizing that. You don't have to make eye contact. You don't have to be very verbose. People communicate in all different kinds of ways. And we have to better, we have to best understand how our partners communicate. That's part of any relationship, how they best understand us. Because the success of communication is whether or not you are understood. And so sometimes we have to adapt to a partner's style so they can get us. But you should... Um, ask if you can participate in a therapy session with your partner and their therapist so you can better understand what they need because I I don't know globally what that will be. But good luck. Um, This one, we'll go to this one. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, it's so hard to find a good therapist. What would be your advice on how to find a good certified sex therapist? Um, Yes, for sex-related stuff, find a certified sex therapist, a CST, ASECT Certified Sex Therapist, CST. Any of the other credentials are rooted in other things. You're not looking for, you know, look for that. Um, 
how to find a good therapist? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Every therapist is different. Even friends of mine that are therapists, I have no idea how they are as an actual therapist. I just know how they are as a friend, which is meaningful because, you know, you get to understand their value system, their thinking, their perspectives. But I wouldn't necessarily know how to tell you to assess a therapist that I personally don't know. But funny enough, at the back of my book, Rebel Love, there's a 10-point system about how you know whether or not your therapist is sex positive. And I actually wrote an article on it on my Medium. So if you go, if you Google Chris Donahue Medium, you'll see it. Medium is a hosting site for people's written work. Mine are there as well. And if you scroll through, you'll see the 10 questions to ask to find out if your therapist is sex positive. In fact, you've put it in my mind, I will do an entire show on this. So stand by for that. Um, but for you, in quick form, at the back of my book, Rebel Love, there it is. Get the book. You should have it already. But if not, I also wrote that down on my Medium page. You can check it out there. And uh, based on this question, you'll understand whether or not they're sex positive, what kind of sex training they have, what kind of you know population they work with, their stances on porn and sex workers and trans individuals and kink. And they should be trained in all those things and supportive of all those things and pro-porn and pro-sex worker and pro-kink because um, that's part of becoming a sex therapist. You value and understand the creative, diverse ways that sex exists. There's nothing wrong with kink. There's nothing wrong with sex work. There's nothing wrong with porn. These are different forms of art and employment and, and entertainment. And you know, working with a good sex therapist, they want you to participate in your sexuality fully. They're not trying to make you normal. They're not trying to make you vanilla. They're not trying to make you wholesome. They're trying to make you authentic because it's important in our sex phobic, sex negative culture that we heal our sexual templates, our sexual arousal templates, all the things that turn us on and make us the person we are. And often they're very beautiful and they're very creative and that's why you wanna work with a certified sex therapist because a traditional sex therapist isn't trained in human sexuality, sexology, or sex therapy at all, at all. Maybe they took a little tiny pass-fail class which are usually horrible. So yes, a standard therapist or psychologist or psychiatrist is not trained in any of this. So you wanna to go to someone who's a certified sex therapist, not a certified sex addiction therapist. That is a pathologizing made up label. We don't go there. We go to certified sex therapists like myself. Sadly, there's only a few hundred of us in the entire world, but luckily, with telehealth, you can work with anyone you want because if they're not in your home state, you can work with them in a coaching capacity, which is you know not therapy, not their license, but it's coaching. And so you'll learn some cognitive behavioral stuff. So get that done. I'm here for it. I love that question, but I'm gonna do an episode on it. All right, y'all, that was the show. Thanks for hanging out. If you wanna check out past episodes, you can go over to wearechannelq.com, scroll down there for Love Line and click on it. You can binge, post, re-listen, and share. Lots of good stuff. And uh, put some questions or topics you want us to hit in the DMs on our Love Line IG page. Anything you got, put it in there. Otherwise, be kind to yourselves, be kind to those around you. We're doing 70% max because we are not living in burnout anymore, y'all. We're focusing on rest, rest, leisure, and joy. As always, thanks for hanging out, and y'all enjoy the rest of your night. Good night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.